any others that three leaf clover or something. Three leaf clover, right? So it's one clover and it's got three leaves. Okay. All right. Um, and I know I mentioned this way back at some previous lesson. Um, there's always just a huge danger in trying to use analogies from the natural world to try to describe a being as unique as God. There is really just nothing um, like God in all of creation. And um, there is nothing, I would say, in creation that is one in one sense and three in another sense in the same way that God is. Um, so all of the analogies, I think, they don't actually help us because they're trying to show us how something can be one in one sense and three in another sense, but none of them actually cover it the way that um, the way that God is one in three. Does that, does that make sense? Chris, I, I would even state it so strongly as to say anytime we seek to illustrate the Trinity with a human analogy, we have most likely stepped into heresy. Yeah, I, I, you are you are probably right. Yeah. So let's let's walk through some of those. So at least we had the egg first. Um, so um, and actually we could just throw in the three leaf clover because it's the exact same problem with the three leaf clover. Um, what you have there is you have something where you can look at it as a whole and it's one, but then you have three separate parts. Um, so is the yolk of an egg? Is that an egg? Mm-mm. Right? Is is the the shell an egg? No. Is the is the white an egg? No. Um, you look at a three leaf clover. If you take one little petal off of a three leaf clover, is it a three leaf clover? No, it's just a petal. Okay. So if we do that, then if we try to apply that to who God is, the result is oh, we take you know we take the sun. You know he's a, he's a part of God. Was the sun God? Well, if if we follow that analogy, he's not. He's just a part of God, right? Um, and one of the things that we believe, and we'll talk about this as we as we get into scripturally what it is, is yeah, all three members of the Trinity are fully God in themselves. Um, so if we take that type of analogy, we just we just make a mess because we're it's an analogy of how something can be viewed as a corporate entity, and then we can look at the individual parts, but the parts aren't actually the same as the whole thing. So. That's why that one doesn't work. Um, what about uh, the water? Um, now that I've led off for like, what's wrong with the with the with the egg and the clover? Can you guys tell me what's wrong with the water? How does that not work? In some ways, it implies that it's just God is completely one, and He just reveals Himself to kind of in different ways. Okay. Mm-hmm. So water is, you know, it's ice Uh in one sense, but then it can change, and it's liquid, and then it can change to another form, Mm -hmm. and it's solid. So God reveals himself as the Son, as Mm -hmm. the Spirit, Mm -hmm. as the Father in different aspects, but he's not actually three distinct persons in that sense. Right, right, yeah. So the problem there is is that water is never all three states at once. You you can change between the states, uh, but... It's, it's never all three states at once. And so then you wind up with this idea that, oh, yeah, the Father changes into the Son, the Son changes into the Spirit. Uh, it just doesn't work. Um, yeah, something can exist and in a way where it can change to three different states, but that doesn't make it three in one the way God is three in one. Um, we also have... Um, I've heard people use multiplication. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, one plus one plus one equals three, but one times one times one equals one. 
I, I, to me, I don't know where they're going with that one, um, but it's something I've heard. Sometimes they even, you know, will say it's like, oh well, you know, I'm a. I don't know if I can remember, even remember what they use, but they do like familial rate relationships, mm-hmm. and so you have like I'm a father, but I'm also a son and a husband, maybe. I don't remember what the third one is. Like that, Grandfather, yeah. but um, really none of these things um, do anything to capture what we mean when we talk about God being three in one. Um, and so I think the best approach we could possibly take is to simply look at Scripture and try to figure out what, how we understand this from what Scripture says, rather than trying to look at the natural world to find some analogy. So, um, I think uh, the best way to approach this um, is to basically look at three foundations of the Trinity because it's it's a little hard to just like go to Scripture and find like a passage where the doctrine of the Trinity is expounded. It's it's just not it's not expressed that way in Scripture. But there are three truths that are expressed multiple times in various places in Scripture that if you take all three of them, you are stuck with the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, I'm sure that that many people have approached it this way. Um, I know specifically my own study, uh, Dr. James White, famous uh, Christian teacher, um, his his book, uh, uh, The Forgotten Trinity. I don't know if you guys have ever read that book, um, but he exp- he expresses it this way, and it's just a really clear way to just show how biblical the doctrine of the Trinity is, and how inescapable it is. So, these three foundations of the Trinity. Number one, there's only one God. It's a clear biblical teaching, right? We're going to look at what the Bible teaches on that, but there is only one God. We have to, we have to agree with that. Okay? There are three divine persons. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three being identified as God. Um, it's just a clear, unescapable truth of Scripture. And... Um, we have uh, that the persons are co-equal and co-eternal. Um, so they they are all fully God. I guess maybe just to back up to the second step, that there are three divine persons. One of the important aspects there is that they are distinct from each other. We have relationships shown between uh, the members of the Trinity. We have the 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 Father loving the Son. We have uh, the Spirit being sent. We you know we have we have all these interactions between the members of the Trinity as distinct personalities, if you will. Um, and so we have to, we can't view them as all just one person. We've, we've got to understand that they have some kind of distinction between them. Um, and then the third one, again, the, the persons are co-equal and co-eternal. Uh, none of them was created or is just like something that God made or some expression of God's self or something like that. It's, it's, they are all truly God from all eternity. Um, and so if you have one God, um, you have three distinct persons, but all the three persons are completely divine and eternal, then the only solution you have is the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, we will kind of talk about like how um, the how you can basically fall into to heresy by denying you know 
any one of these points. Uh, we'll talk about that in detail, but that's something just to think about as we go through. It's like, what if you denied this one point that we're talking about? You know, how does that how does that affect your view of who God who God is? So, our first point. This is usually one of the least controversial ones. Um, there's only one God. Yeah. Of course, there are people out there who believe that there are multiple gods, um, but generally speaking, this is this is definitely one of the least controversial ones. So let's let's get some scriptural support for that. Deuteronomy six four, one of the most famous ones. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Just plain right there. It's only one God. Isaiah forty three ten. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. So God clearly declares. He's alone. He's the only God. Um, no exceptions there. Um, next chapter, Isaiah 44, 6-8. Uh, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Uh, let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. And just the same, same concept. Um, Isaiah 45, verse 22, says, Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. So, I don't know how many of you guys are aware of this, but that whole section in Isaiah um, is sometimes called the, the trial of the false gods. It's just over and over again in that section. There's um, basically... Uh, God comparing himself to the gods of the nations um, and asserting in no uncertain terms that he is the only true God and that all of the all of the idols of the nations are just the imagination of, of man's mind so clear on that right there's only one God you, you can't you can't look at um, okay, we got the we got the father we got the son we got the Holy Spirit so we got at least three gods here you know? can't do that right that just would be completely unscriptural. Now we have three divine persons, um, and they're not—they're not the same. In some sense, I mean, again, we have to—we have to—we can't—we can't. As we look at these things, we can't abandon anything we've seen before. We've got to hold on to it all—all all of it. Um, so there are three divine persons. They are distinct from each other. So there are uh, numerous places in Scripture. Uh, where we see distinctions made between the persons of the Trinity. Uh, one of the most famous is uh, the, the time when Jesus is baptized. So in Mark chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, uh, it says, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open, and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. So, What's going on there? What do, what do we see that's relevant to to the topic at hand? Well, 
you see all three aspects interacting with each other at the same time. Hmm? Right, so you have the sun, he's there being baptized, right? And then you have the spirit descending on him, where it's actually visible to John the Baptist. And then you have a voice that comes from heaven. You know, it's not coming from Jesus, not coming from the spirit that came down. You've got a voice coming from heaven. And so um, in, in this presentation, you actually like have locational differences between the members of the Trinity. Um, kind of hard to, to wrap our, our minds around all of that, but clearly there's a distinction, right, between the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, when we go to uh, the end of Jesus' life, Luke 23, verse 46, Jesus is on the cross. Uh, it says, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said that, he breathed, he breathed his last. So there we see one member of the Trinity dying, right? Um, and um, it's, I mean, it's interesting. Sometimes I've, I've heard people who are attacking the doctrine of the Trinity, and they'll look at this passage and they'll say, well, Jesus didn't say, you know, I commit my spirit to myself, you know, just because they think, you know, it's like, oh, well, the, if you believe in the doctrine of the Trinity and Jesus is God, that's what he would have had to have said. Um, but oftentimes when people attack the doctrine of the Trinity, they don't, they don't really understand what it is that we're saying. Um, in the sense, they would deny the distinction between the persons that we would... I mean, they, they would think that we deny a distinction in persons if we say that Jesus is God. Um, but there we see Jesus... Um, expressing his prayer to the Father um, and basically entrusting his spirit to him. Um, another really famous passage in, in terms of, of the deity of Christ, um, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, um, doesn't just express the deity of Christ, but it also expresses a distinction um, so John 1, 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So, who's the Word there? Christ. <coughs> Sorry? Jesus. Jesus, yes. So, good Sunday school answer. Um, <laughs> so... What does it say in um, in it's got it's got relational terms here in John one right? How does it how does it express that? The word is in the beginning was the word, but then the word was with God. With God. So the okay. one was separate from God yeah. the Father. Yeah. So you you it's, it it doesn't just go in the beginning was the word and the word was was, was God. Um, it's in the beginning was the word and the word was with God um, so and then in verse 2 um, it says he was in the beginning with God so it's it's expressing this relationship that they have not not a complete identity um, it does affirm that Jesus himself is God um, but it's not expressing it in a way that demands an identity between the father and the son but it also expresses equality too. It does express equality, yes. Because the idea of nose, nose, mm -hmm. nose. 
Yes. Yeah, there's a... Um, I mean, just in the beginning was the Word. I mean, it's like it's not like, oh, in the beginning, God created the Word. It's in the beginning was the Word. There's co-eternal, co-equal. Um, bringing the Holy Spirit back into this, uh, John 16, um, verses 7 through 15, uh, Jesus has this lengthy discussion with his disciples. Um and in this, he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. So, beginning in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. And just in case you're not aware of this, the Helper is the Holy Spirit. Um, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, let's look at this, I guess, kind of from the opposite side, from the perspective of um, we're trying to say that God doesn't have distinctions between his persons. Um, kind of the idea that God the Father became the Son, and um, and then when he goes away, he's going to come back as the Spirit. Um, in fact, some people who teach that would actually even use part of this passage to try to uh, present that truth, because it's like, oh, well, I, you know, the Spirit can't come until I go away. It's, it's because he needs to change into the Spirit. Um, but looking at this passage as a whole, does it actually work to view it that way? Well, he's going to the Father. Mm-hmm. So. And, and it's not he's going to at the same time that he's sending the Spirit. Yeah. Yeah. So he's actually separated all three. Mm-hmm. He also speaks of truth in there. Mm-hmm. What does he What does he do with truth in relation to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit? Well, the Spirit brings the truth, mm-hmm. guides us in truth, right? Um, but then he says that he will not speak on his own authority. Whenever mm-hmm. he hears, he will speak. So right. the Spirit is receiving this. Right. That would be very strange if, if it's you know, if it's just God in three different manifestations, and he he goes away and he comes back and. As the Spirit says, oh, well, I'm not speaking on my own authority. It's like, whoa, aren't you? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, yeah, there's a distinction there. Um, that the Spirit isn't speaking on his own authority, but he's speaking what's been given to him. What, what other relationships do we see there? 
And he, he will glorify me. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's glorifying the Son. He's not, he's not glorifying himself. He's glorifying the Son. And he's getting the truth from the Son. And Jesus, as the Son, is here saying that uh, the Spirit's gonna gonna take this from me, but this like I have this from the Father, basically. All that the Father has is mine. So he's he's basically referring the truth back to the Father, and saying, yes, I have access to the truth uh, in relation to the Father, and then I give the truth to the Spirit, and He speaks on my authority. So you have all these distinctions here, that from the perspective of the person who says, oh, well, there's there's no. There's no distinctions in person. It's just it's just different roles that God puts on. It really just makes this a nonsensical passage. I mean, you know, if, if somebody if somebody viewed things that way and like you know, and they, they were standing there listening to Jesus, they'd be like, Jesus, I don't understand what you're what you're saying. You're you're talking nonsense here. You know, what's all this discussion? Because you're just gonna go away and then come back as the spirit and tell us this stuff. Um so, again, I think this this is one of the like really good passages for if if you talk to somebody and there's lots of people out there that believe this. If you talk to somebody coming from this perspective, I just don't see how you could possibly make sense of this passage, um, in you know coming from that perspective. Look at a couple more here. Uh, John 17 verse five. Um, Jesus says, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Again, we see Jesus, of course, is praying to the Father, but he's referring to um, having glory with the Father, not being glorified as the Father um, at some point in the past, but actually being with the Father and having glory with him. Um, at a point in the past. And then a little ways down in the same chapter, uh, verses 23 and 24, uh, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, uh, or loved me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire all that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So there again we see um, this distinction, this relationship that exists uh, between the Father and the Son. Um, the, you have the, the Father giving people to the Son. Um, you have Christ praying on behalf of those people to the Father. Um, you have even the statement that um, the Father loved the Son before the foundation of the world. Um, most of the time, if people uh, will approach this from a perspective of that the, the, there's no distinction between the persons of God, um, they would say that the Son didn't really come into existence until Bethlehem. Um, that prior to that, I mean, maybe the son was an idea in God's mind, but until Bethlehem, he didn't become the son. And so there can be no real notion of the father loving the son before the foundation of the world. Um, so hopefully that 
uh, makes it very clear. Um, this is a maybe a little bit more difficult one um, than the uh, than just the idea that there is only one God, um, but it's definitely one that you will encounter more frequently. Uh, I mean, you will encounter people who claim to believe the Bible and say there's more than one God. Um, but I think more frequently you will encounter people who claim to believe the Bible and say that, well, yeah, there's only one God, but there's no distinction between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's just roles that people take. Um, so being prepared is a, is a good idea. So our final point, um, the persons are co-equal and co-eternal. So here we're going to run through the members of the Trinity. Um, the first one's easy. No, nobody, nobody denies this, that the Father is God. Um, John 6, 27. Uh, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So you have God the Father. And that's the main reason I got that verse there is it refers to God the Father. So the Father is God. I really don't know of anybody who denies that the Father is God. I mean, I guess... Yeah. No, not really. So You'd have to do it in a really weird way. So everybody basically agrees with that. But when it comes to the idea that the Son is God, that is definitely a much more controversial idea. There are many, many groups who say that the Son is not God. Historically, that's where a lot of classically speaking Christian cults mm -hmm. have come from, mm -hmm. um, from the deity, uh, attacking the Trinity, specifically the deity of Christ, mm -hmm. um, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and even technically Islam. Right. Yeah. Um, Mormonism is a little tricky there because yes. they will say that Jesus is a God in some sense. But Yes. Um, but yes, Jehovah's Witnesses, Islam, um, both of those very much uh, would affirm that the Father is God, but would say, no, the Son is not God. Um, you know, and it goes at least all the way back to, to Arius, uh, the, the Arian heresy. Um, so, I mean, throughout history, there have just been countless of people. Um, and there's, yeah, I mean, there's there's all sorts of groups. But, um, yeah, so it's, a, it's this is obviously something that you should be prepared to defend, uh, that the that the Son is God, and see that it is scriptural. Um, and uh, Bill anticipated me earlier, so John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there we clearly see Jesus is himself God, fully God, co-equal, co-eternal. Um, it's just, yeah. Not, not only was the Word with God, the Word was God. Just a, just a very plain statement of Jesus being God. Um, Thomas understood this as well. You guys remember this, but um, after Jesus was raised from the dead, um, Jesus, the first time he appeared to the disciples, Thomas wasn't there. The rest of them were there, but Thomas wasn't there. And so um, when they told Thomas, he's like, ah, I don't, I don't believe that. I'm not going to believe it unless I actually, actually see him. Um, and then Jesus appeared and showed himself to Thomas, and Thomas knew what to say, because uh, in John 20, verse 28, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God, uh, just very clearly viewed Jesus as his God. Um, 
some some people have attempted to. Uh, I mean, all these all these passages people try to get around, but some people have attempted to get around this one by simply saying that Thomas was was making an expression of like basically glorifying God that Jesus was alive, you know. Um, but it, I mean, that's really stretching it, you know. Um, so. But clearly, I mean, I think I think the only clear way to read it is that Thomas understood. It's like, you are my Lord and my God. That's who he was looking at right there. Um, Paul obviously taught uh, the deity of Christ as well. Romans 9, um, verse 5. Uh, Paul is speaking of the, the Jewish people. And he says, to them belongs the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. So, Paul just flat out says that Jesus is God over all. Titus 2.13, picking up mid-sentence here, but... Uh, it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, Paul very clearly teaching that Jesus is God. Now, references to um, the Spirit being God are um, more infrequent, um, but they are certainly there. Uh, we're just going to look at one. Um, Acts chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 this is the situation where you have Ananias and Sapphira um, who basically are trying to um, pad their reputation by claiming that they're giving all of their uh, proceeds from their sale to the church when in fact they're only giving a portion of it and of course uh, this is revealed to Peter and he confronts Ananias about it. So in verse 3, uh, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself a part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, it did not remain your own. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So, how is this relevant to our passage? It's things are kind of spread out enough that a lot of times people don't catch it. But what what do we see here? Well, they lied to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. They lied to God when the Holy Spirit is God. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So Peter Peter says that they lied to the Holy Spirit twice in here. But the first time he says, "Yeah, you you lied to the Holy Spirit." And then, just in contrast, he's like, lying to the Holy Spirit isn't like lying to a man. You've lied to God. Um, and so clearly, Peter is identifying the Holy Spirit as God. There are a few other passages. Um, but, like I said, they're, they're few and far between. Um, and not necessarily the clearest. But there's, there's very few people who would actually deny that the Spirit is God. In a sense, um, usually, if people want to attack um, the the idea that the spirit is God, what they will do is they will attack the idea that the spirit is anything at all other than a, an impersonal force. 
Um, and so they would say, oh, well, yeah, the, the, the spirit of God, that's, that's God's active force in the world, um, but isn't really a person per se. Um, but there's very few people that would say that the... And I don't, I don't actually know of anybody who would say that the Holy Spirit is a person but is not God. Um, <coughs> I can't think of anything. Right. I think of Genesis 1 2, when it talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the earth. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the idea of hovering is a, he's a mm-hmm. third person. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah, and I mean, another thing. Uh, we have uh, Paul telling us not to grieve the Holy Spirit. There's numerous places um, in Scripture where the Holy Spirit is clearly identified as a person with emotions, with will. He gives gifts to the church as he chooses. Uh, that's another one. I don't remember the exact address. But um, but clearly, um, the Spirit is a person and the Spirit is God. Um, the Spirit is not some lesser being that God created. So, that's what Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches that there is only one God. The Scripture teaches that there are three persons. And we saw they're they're distinct from each other. They're not they're not <coughs> identical um, in a sense. But that doesn't change the fact that there's only one God. And we see that all three of them are actually God. Um, now, that's really hard for us to understand. Because it would seem like, well, shouldn't then there be three gods? Or or maybe it's just God changing his form to do these different things. Or or maybe it's just that the Father is God and that the others are, are you know, created or subordinate or not really a person or something like that. There's, there's all these methods that people will try to try to approach this problem with and say, well, there's got, there's got to be a way that this makes sense to me. Because it just doesn't make sense um, that there's only one God, but that somehow he exists in three distinct persons who are all fully God. I mean, how does that work? Um, but the thing is that you have to deny some of these passages we've talked about if you're going to go that direction. Um, if you accept all of what the scripture teaches, then you're forced to the conclusion that the doctrine of the Trinity is true. That is that is who God is. God is one God in three persons. So what about denials of the Trinity? Um, I mean, I think at least most all denials of the Trinity, if not all of them, are simply a matter of taking one of these three truths and denying it. Accepting the other two, but then denying, uh, denying one of them. So, what would be examples of that? We kind of skated around that a little bit. But. Well, okay, so Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying to the Father. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's God, then why would he pray to himself? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's, a, that's an argument that people would use. What, what would they... I'm trying to think. So there would just be a denial that Jesus is God, right? Yeah. Right. So there, they would be subordinating God to some created being, right? Okay. Um, but actually, the the question I'm after, and I mean that's that's a good example. But the question I'm after is like, what are the overarching viewpoints? What what are the what are the theologies of denial of the Trinity? Um, 
along the same lines as what Rick was saying, and even using one of the passages we've discussed this morning, um, is that they're equal. I mean, if, if Christ has to ask uh, the Father to take the burden away, he's not equal, he's getting permission. Or if um, in the John 16 passage we were looking at, uh, saying, I get my authority from the Father, mm-hmm. the Spirit gets hold. The argument could be is, well, if you're getting the authority from the Father, there's obvious, there's a power or a balance in equality. Mm-hmm. You're, right. you're not all equal. Right, right. So with that, they would say well, sometimes that um, Jesus is a created being mm-hmm. in some sense or another. Um, there's some, I'd say he's a prophet, mm-hmm. a great prophet, or the last of the great prophets or mm-hmm. something like that. Right. But yeah, yeah. So this is this is a form of subordinationism. Is the, is the technical term for it? So you have subordinated um, members of the Trinity to the Father, and you say, "Oh yes, there's only one God, and there's these three distinct persons, but only one of them is actually God. The other two, they're subordinate, right? So, but yes, Islam, Jehovah's Witnesses, Arians." Um, all sorts of liberal denominations, and there's all sorts of people who would who would go this route. Um, what about what about others? If we let, let's let's say we we keep the idea that all three of the uh, all three of the persons are truly divine, but then we pitch one of the other truths. What do we get? have polytheism. Polytheism, yeah. So if we just pitch the first one, it's like, yeah, we've got three distinct persons, and all of them are fully God. But um, the idea that there's only one God now, we don't, we don't, we don't go with that one. Yeah, polytheism. Does polytheism exist today? Where do we see that most commonly? At least when they're trying to hold to the Bible in some respect. I mean, not just like random polytheism, but like where you're, where you're actually like saying, oh yes, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, the Son is God, um, but they're just three gods. Mormonism, kind of. I mean, they, they would still subordinate. I think I believe, to the sense. Father, he's kind of the preeminent God. Well, I, if I, I might be wrong. Not that. not exactly. Um, I mean, they, their definition of God is just so yeah bizarre. Um, that they would say, I, I mean, just just to kind of go through some of it. I mean, that one of their teachings is that you can become a god. You know, if you join the Mormon Church and you do all the right things, you yourself can become a god. You can create worlds, have a bunch of worshippers, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they would say, yeah, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God, and the Son is God. Um, and they would say that at one point Jesus wasn't God, and he became God. But they say the exact same thing for the Father. They say that the Father once lived as a man on some planet, worshipping some other god, and he became that world's equivalent of a Mormon, and eventually attained the status of godhood, and then created all of us. Um, and the thing is, is that they would say that even the god that, that he worshipped himself was created by some other god. And they actually even have this bizarre view of an infinite regression. Turtles all the way. Yeah, <laughs> turtles all the way down. Yes, um, where it's like you know, 
they would say, you know, there wasn't a first God. Every, every, you know, you just keep going back, and it was, you know, that God was created by some other God. So, I mean, their view of what a God is is just totally unbiblical. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, for what they view to be a God, the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. It's just the idea that there's only one God. Is just, they don't agree with that. So, we got one more though. Right? So, let's say, okay, there's only one God, and the Father's God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. They're all fully God. There's only one God. But this idea of us, of them being distinct persons, we're, we're not gonna, we're not gonna buy that. So what is that view? So is that just the God only appearing in different aspects, mm-hmm. right? Uh, at, at, so, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I don't actually know that. I mean, I'm sure there are people that hold that, but I don't, like know of any distinct denominations or groups or something like that that officially right. hold to that. Right. Well, it's 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 the view is known as modalism. Yeah. It's also known as oneness. And there's actually like a very large denomination that holds it. If you've ever heard of Oneness Pentecostals, mm-hmm. this is their perspective. They completely deny the Trinity. They will actively say the Trinity is false doctrine. There's there's a Oneness Pentecostal church in Hayesville where I live, and I remember on their sign, you know, you got those signs where you can change the letters, you know. And I remember one day driving by, and it's like the Trinity is false doctrine, just you know, up there on their sign, just like just very you know upfront about saying. We deny the doctrine of the Trinity. And that's their perspective, is that you have one God, and he presents himself as the Father, and then he changes modes. That's why they call it modalism. He changes modes, and he becomes the Son for a while. And then he goes away and becomes the Spirit. Um, And so they're going to affirm there's only one God, and that all three persons are, in fact, true God but deny that all of them coexist eternally um, as distinct persons. Aren't there, aren't there passages of Christ talking about how his father is like currently... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right. Well, and obviously, and then the pray, you know, mm-hmm. praying to God, too, mm-hmm. is an yeah. issue, but... The, it, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an involved topic on exactly how to deal with him, but I mean, the, the way they approach stuff like that is basically they, they say that there was a, a human aspect of Jesus who would pray to the divine aspect of Jesus. So when he's praying to the Father, it's really just his, the human part of Jesus praying to the Son, is basically what's going on there. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it does justice to Scripture, but that's basically the way they, they try to get around stuff like that. I mean, it's like you were saying earlier, the, the clear reading of the passage would mm-hmm. make it mm-hmm. where Jesus, the Son, as the Son, is praying right. to the Father. Right. So, so their motivation for that? Is that to support the speaking in tongues and stuff? Or, I mean, yeah, what, yeah, what's the point of well, I mean, I think denying what it, the Trinity? I think what it comes down to is just the fact that people look at the doctrine of the Trinity and they say, I can't understand that. It must not be true. I mean, I think that's ultimately what it is. Um, I I mean, yeah, they have their doctrine of speaking in tongues, and they have a whole bunch of other false doctrines. Um, So, I mean, obviously not, you know, I wouldn't recommend you go to a Oneness Pentecostal church if you're, like, traveling and, you know, can't find a Presbyterian church. Um, But I, I I don't know that their oneness... 
theology has any sprang out of any of their other false doctrines. I mean, I know it's impacted their their views of, of baptism and baptism in the Holy Spirit. Um, like, specifically, uh, you have, uh, at the end of Matthew, baptize them, in, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then you go to the book of Acts, and it's they're baptized in the name of Jesus. And, it's, and so they have this idea that's like, oh, well, the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus. And so, you know, they, they want to just, like, erase the distinctions between the persons in that way. And so they will all, I mean, and so um, my, my understanding is when they perform baptisms, they're not going to say in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're just going to say in the, in the name of Jesus. So, I mean, it, the, obviously the doctrines are related. But I think, ultimately, the reason why they're coming at it this way is just because they approach the doctrine of training is like that doesn't make sense to me I want it to make sense so I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch one of these ideas so yeah well I was just gonna say they probably maybe see it as an easier way to explain to Mm -hmm. unbelievers Mm -hmm. because the the um, doctrine of the Trinity is one of the most mocked Mm -hmm. parts of Christianity for sure with I don't know but the one as Pentecostals are big in the spirit movement. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of it plays into the theology of how they push the idea of the spirit coming and working mm-hmm. among them. And right. It's, it's more of a... I mean, yeah, it, yeah it's, it, certainly, it certainly ties in because, I mean, from their perspective, he's in the spirit mode now. Yeah. You know, that's, that's where God exists is... Is in the is in the form of the spirit, so it definitely ties in. T.D. Jakes is one that mm-hmm. is big into that. that yes, he probably heard of that, yeah. mm-hmm. Yep, he's 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 one of those people that unfortunately has got a bit of a hearing amongst Trinitarians, and you know certain people have like tried to warn people like this guy's not a Christian. You know, he's he's a false teacher. He denies essential Christian doctrine, but. He's one of the people that's, you know, that, that has it. And he's, I think he has a history in the Oneness Pentecostal Church, but, like, left it and went independent. And so it's, like, kind of under the radar that that he has a Oneness theology. But um, it's, it's certainly something that people have tried to warn people about. Well, Chris, I think your point that you just stated there is really important. And in light of today's landscape, you know, sort of inclusivism and, and just even, you know, people say, oh, well, well, my cousin's in that. He's a great guy. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we just look at people like that sometimes as believers. And, mm-hmm. and even the Mormon churches worked very hard to convey the idea that they're not a different religion. They're a different denomination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've heard Christians say that. Mm-hmm. They'll say, oh, well, Mormons are just a different denomination. It's like, no, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're wrong. They're not, they're not Christian. Mm-hmm. And it's really important for Christians to understand that right. about these things. Yeah. When you attack the character of God, mm-hmm. you, you know, it's, it's a different religion. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and with that, too, though, it's with how fractured we are within the church and in society and everything, a lot of ways, and I mean, this is always going to be the case, but I think especially in our society today, you have people who are impacted by these false teachers and doctrines all over the place in PCA churches and uh, Baptist churches everywhere. Um, I mean, there's some places where sound doctrines definitely more faithfully taught, and, and you could, and, and it's exposed more and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, 
like you were saying, well, this is a good person, and they're in the church or whatever, so, yeah, obviously, it's, it's they're all right. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. Well, that's, that's why it's important to study these things. And the Athanasian's Creed is... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you already mentioned that. I didn't, but no. But yeah, I mean, that... In here, too. That, <laughs> that addresses those issues as well, so... Um, I mean, the doctrine of the Trinity was was one of the big controversies in in the, the early New Testament church. So I mean, it's I mean you see you see attacks on it in Scripture itself in a sense, um, you know, more rudimentary attacks. But just as the centuries go on, um, that's that's just like those are the big controversies that happen is is on who God is. Um, and so, you know, and it, and it got worked out and established just like, well, look, this is what Scripture teaches, you know, and there was general agreement, um, but it's like these ideas just keep popping up um, over and over again. We can, I mean, we'll, it'll, it'll never be a, a completely settled issue. So we always need to be prepared um, to, to address these issues because it's really important that we understand properly who God is. I mean, it's, in a sense, it can sound like, philosophical and you know and just academic but I mean our salvation hinges on God being who he is Um, and you know any of these false views of who God is that God can't save us Um, we need uh, the triune God kind of what you were saying earlier last week sorry about how um, maybe a couple weeks ago where, where how can God save us show mercy to us and yet be a just God. Mm-hmm. And uh, that really is completely dependent on the substitutionary atonement mm-hmm. of the distinct person of Christ. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, yeah. and then this Holy Spirit, we didn't really talk about it that much, but how he applies our salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah, all of that is lost if you jettison the doctrine of the Trinity. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, we are basically out of time. Um, I'm going to just quickly read just a few Trinitarian passages because there's a few passages that um, that kind of bring it all together. It's not like here I'm teaching the doctrine of the Trinity, but there's some places where the three persons are brought together in a way that just wouldn't make sense if the apostles weren't Trinitarians. So just run through those real quick. Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That would be a silly thing to say if Jesus wasn't really God um, and if the Holy Spirit wasn't a divine person as well. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. Uh, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. And 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then 1 Peter 1, 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with his blood may grace and peace be multiplied to you. So, clearly, they were Trinitarians. I mean, might be nice if they just like, you know, Paul just like... I'm going to explain the doctrine of the Trinity in this paragraph, you know. But that never happens, so we kind of have to put it together. But 
it's if we take all of what Scripture says, it's unavoidable. We we have to embrace the doctrine of the Trinity if we're going to be biblical Christians. So let's uh, let's let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for uh, God, for com- accomplishing our salvation. Lord, just all the intricate truths that we see in Scripture. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed these things to us, that we get a glimpse of of your nature. And uh, Lord, it is truly uh, far above us to completely understand who you are. But Lord, may we be submissive to your word um, and not try to rule over it with our own thinking, but to accept uh, just all of what scripture says and Lord I pray that as we meditate on these things that you would change us that you would conform us to the image of Christ and that you would be glorified in us I pray these things in Christ's name Amen, Amen.